Hey, this is Shannon from Slapdash, and this episode is sponsored by 606 Iron. Located in the Big M Plaza in Whitley City, Kentucky, 606 Iron has cardio equipment, free weights, numerous weight training machines, weekly kettleball classes, and tanning beds. Stop by 606 Iron for membership information or call 606-310-4918. History, art, science, and everything else. They slap down a new topic and dash off to next. It's a great big world with so much to know. Like cryptids, time travel, and the history of Poe. If you want to be a smarty, better learn something fast. With Shannon and Jason on Slapdash Podcast. On today's episode, we're discussing the history of the Wild West. I'm Shannon Deaton, and across the table is a man who's wanted in 13 states for crimes against potatoes. He's a rootin' tootin' air rifle shooting outlaw, Jason the Kid Creekmore. How are you, man? Howdy, partner. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing well. So are you, are you a fan of the Wild West? Oh, I am. Yeah. Uh, when Growing up, my favorite, like, I guess, Western TV show, uh, and of course it was black and white, so I think it was made in the 50s, was uh, The the Rifleman. Oh, sure. With, with Chuck Norris. Yeah. yeah when I was like a, a kid, obviously, that was on reruns, and it was old when I was a kid watching it. But I always <laughs> thought that was cool for some reason. All Westerns are old. Even, yeah. It doesn't matter what time period you're watching right. them in. They're, they're all like, old. They're all old. Yeah. I'll tell you, um, one of my favorites from the old days, and it was old when I was young, uh, was Gunsmoke. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. Marshall Absolutely. Dillon yep. and, and all those guys. That's a good one. It is. And at my barber, they still play that one whenever I go to get my hair cut. I don't know if it's just a rule in barbershops that you have to have old westerns right. on TV, but I'll be sitting there, you know, getting trimmed up, and there's Marshall Dillon and, and you're watching shooting some gun smoke. <laughs> yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. So, Jason, we're talking about the Wild West as opposed to the Wild East or the Wild North. You know, right. it, it's got to be just the West. Apparently, only the West was wild. I guess every everything else was pretty tame. I guess the East was tamed, right? Yeah. <laughs> it must have been. The tamed East. The, the tamed East. Uh, but the term Wild West refers to a period of time in American history, which began after the Civil War in 1865 and ended around 1895. So there was about 30 years when the wild, uh, the West was apparently pretty wild and, and untamed. And uh, it's a time period characterized by lawlessness and lonely, windswept territories <laughs> in mountainous <laughs> regions. You can just imagine what, what the West looks like, especially in those older black and white depictions like right. Gunsmoke and Rifleman. Sort of tumbleweeds blowing. <laughs> yeah, tumbleweed blows by. Uh, I wonder how many tumbleweeds there were out there. It seemed like they only blew by when there was a duel going on or something. <laughs> yeah. You know? at high noon you just see one creep by Uh, but the regions included territories west of the mississippi river such as dakota nevada oregon utah montana arizona california new mexico and colorado the stories the people and even the landscape itself is just the stuff of legends it's full of myth. It's full of these crazy characters. And I, I don't know how much of it is real and how much is imagined. But when I think about it, I always imagine these these bandits and outlaws and, you know, just sort of having the, uh, what's it called that you kind of wear over your face? Uh, like a, kind of a like handkerchief a, kind of thing. A bandana yeah, sort bandana of. bandana yeah. wrapped around the mouth. Robin Banks uh, jumping right. on trains off of horseback. They all had the bags <laughs> that have like, has like the the dollar sign on it. Right. <laughs> That's right. That was <laughs> just a Just to rule. make sure you, you know, you just knew. 
so you know, it, it, it was money. That's sure. money. There, we're not stealing potatoes. This is <laughs> no, the I wild would, west. Right. <laughs> yeah, unless you're Jason the Kid Creek. That's right. But in his book, The American West: The Invention of a Myth, David Murdoch wrote that the American frontier had a few defining characteristics and values, and those included individuality, self-reliance, and an instinctive commitment to democracy. So, Jason, let's go on a little bit of a trip here. Let's let's go way back in time. Imagine you're seated atop your horse on a rocky cliff overlooking a vast, dirty, sunlit expanse of ground. <laughs> Maybe there's a tumbleweed just kind of gently creeping by in the background. Okay, I'm there. <laughs> the wind's in your hair. The sun's in your eyes. You, you have this massive cowboy hat on that would shame Yosemite Sam himself and uh let's just jump into the complete history of the wild west and let's start with horses jason have you ever rode a horse one time uh my dad had a uh, a palomino i think that's the name of a oh, particular yeah. horse it is i was probably around nine or ten years old and uh so you know he kind of told me what to do i was scared to death of it right and we were in the front of the barn he put me on it and really the only thing the horse did honestly was just gallop around to the back of the the back of the barn and then just went into the stall to eat yeah but it felt like it you know, went like 80 miles an hour during that time. And so I had like a, a death grip on the range. Sure. And and uh, when it got to the point where it was walking through the door, I didn't duck. I was oh. like looking straight at the ground. And so it was like literally like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Where I smacked just, in the head. I just smacked and fell off of it. The horse just walked on in and ate. <laughs> and so that was it. That's that's my, my one and only horse uh, experience. I was on a horse just one time as well. I have no idea what breed of horse it was, but similar story. I kind of sat on horseback. I was just a young kid. I mean, literally so so young they had to kind of hold me in place. It wasn't right. Uh, probably a good idea for me to be up there at all. But the horse just kind of walked around, and here I was. I, I don't even remember like holding the reins. I just remember just kind of sitting on top of it, looking around like, is this real life? Right. Is this what's happening right now? <laughs> I'm on a horse. I'm on a horse? Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's hard to imagine the Wild West without that signature horse, right. you know, uh, a signature equestrian vehicle, right. <laughs> if you will. <laughs> I like that better. Yeah, I like that. Uh, horses played a huge role in the development of the Wild West. You know, they helped cowboys with various tasks on the farm, such as moving cattle or pulling wagons. And, you know, one, one question I have is, how did horses arrive in the Wild West? Were they just free-roaming horses that, you know, somebody said, come here, boy, and they, they jumped on the back, <laughs> right. you know, and they, they took off. But primarily, the Native Americans and the Spanish are responsible for horses thriving in North America. And a lot of the horses that are around today are direct descendants genetically from those original horses that were brought over by the Spanish. Uh, and they introduced them here in about the early 1500s, but the Native Americans helped to breed them to what they are today. And there were a few breeds that emerged that were essential to life and development of the Wild West, one which you mentioned, the Palomino. Uh, oh, this okay. one we had was brought over from Spain. It's typically a golden horse with yep. sort of a platinum mane. Is that how you remember it? That's, Little Jason Creek that, that's just like a, in my Palomino. nightmares. Yep. <laughs> Uh, another popular type of horse during this time was a buckskin. Uh, this was a tan-skinned horse with dark legs. It's primarily used for hunting and war because apparently there was war in the Wild West. Also, I hope I'm saying this right, there was a horse called a 
Appaloosa. I think that's right. I know what does, you're talking does that about. Sound right. right. Uh, and to look at pictures of it, it's just kind of spotted all over. And when it's described, it, it's uh, said to be a very practical, hardy, versatile, and uh, almost uh, a horse with endless stamina. Like it can just go on and on hmm. and on, which I guess is good if you're riding across the the dirt-ridden landscape. I, I would of, imagine so. <laughs> the Wild West. Uh, it might even be a good escape horse. If you're on the run from from bandits, who knows? And and another popular horse during the time is one called a Mustang. And oh, we're, yeah. we're not talking about the car. Oh, okay. Although th- those are certainly nice. I would think they take their name probably somewhat from, from this horse. Um, they were brought from Spain. They're often called wild horses. There uh, are still wild Mustangs that are primarily descended from those original Mustangs that were present during this time that were brought into North America by the Spanish so yeah, horses have a, a large historical significance in the Wild West, so much so, Jason, that in 1971, the U.S. Congress recognized that wild, free-roaming horses are living symbols of the historic and pioneer spirit of the West, which continue to contribute to the diversity of life forms within the nation and enrich the lives of the American people. That's a direct quote from Congress. Do you think any congressman ride many horses today <laughs> i would not imagine so i don't think but you never know maybe maybe you know, there might be like a cowboy kind of type of uh, congressman somewhere really I likes the outdoors that. yeah <laughs> so maybe possible that sounds good so jason you know horses have their uses but in the wild west it was more than just horses there were people who got into confrontations sometimes they didn't get along maybe they were on horseback maybe not maybe they were outside a saloon and it was a high noon it's go time and it's time to go is there any information about dueling oh yeah so when, when you think about the wild wild west you have to think about duels and and gunfights right because that's that's what i think that's about what the movies show you all the time right yeah. so during this time period gunslingers would participate in these quick draw duels which obviously involved them pulling their pistol from their holster and firing at their opponent before they got shot and of course these duels had some sense of honor where the two guys would not pull their pistol until the appropriate time and that was a very time honored acceptable way to resolve a conflict if, if you couldn't just really talk it, talk it out let's just go shoot each other and that's kind of that was totally acceptable back then yeah this guy lied to me in a poker game i'll see let, you outside let, at 12 let's go outside yeah. right uh, and shannon this practice of quick draw lives on even today there's actually a world fast draw association that was established in 1976 and of course they shoot blanks at targets not real bullets at real people but even today (laughs) that's a competition where same kind of gun it's same kind of holster they kind of stand in that sort of you know kind of relaxed legs but ready to go apart you know (laughs) back just sort of hunched just Just, enough just a little (laughs) head bow all right and then and then all of a sudden i don't know if like a a horn sounds or a a gun a light or whatever but then you know bam they pull it out and and fire it and they have like no time to aim it's just immediate it's just you know pull and fire it's not like they're not firing at each other right no it's It's targets it's like it's like targets yeah okay but they sort of look the part (laughs) you know what i mean if you, you if you didn't really know you would think there was someone on the other end but oh, like yeah. when the camera spins around, it's just a target. Right. It's, it's, it's just like a silhouette <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> right. So you're back to the Wild Wild West. The, the most uh, popular guns used uh, were the 1873 Winchester rifle and the 1892 Winchester lever action, uh, which was the uh, the rifle used in the, the uh, TV show The Rifleman that I oh, sure. referenced yeah. a few mo- moments ago. And then last but not least, the Colt single action revolver. 
Okay, mm-hmm. so you know, there were no nine millimeter weapons back then, right? There were no like uh, Rugers. These were all no semi-automatic firing. No, these were all revolvers, all. right? Okay. And and of course, you know some of the the uh, movies and the TV shows you could see where they would like pull the hammer the hammer back, oh, right? Sure, and yeah. be, you know they like slap 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 and as fast as they're pulling the hammer, the guns fire. The guns firing. Yeah. yeah. So those were the most popular uh, guns, and obviously the the weapons of choice. And one interesting note that even today, uh, in 2020, everyone who serves in a public office in Kentucky must take an oath where they swear they have fought, that they have never fought a duel with a deadly weapon. And this actually became a part of the uh, Kentucky Constitution in 1850 because uh, back earlier in the late 1700s and early 1800s, again, this was sort of an acceptable way to do things, and people were going uh, across state lines. They would go into like West Virginia or Ohio to to, to have these to duels duel. or Tennessee, yeah, to fight a duel. And so they had to. They ended up putting that in uh, the Kentucky Constitution in 1850. That in order to hold a public office, you have to swear <laughs> that you've never participated. And it's so funny that was you know before the Civil War, and then here we are today. And you know even uh, folks that you know they are elected as magistrates and judge executives and school oh, yeah. board members, yep. they have to take an oath in office. And and every time I've I've ever witnessed one of those. There's always like some smiling, like some grinning when they when they get to that Everybody part. Knows. Right? It's, it's kind of tongue in cheek a little bit. But yeah, it's in there, but you it's in there. It. it is law. It's so I'm, the law. Yeah. I'm still waiting for the first person to be like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I may have to. This may be a deal breaker for me, man. I hope that never goes away. I know it's kind of silly, <laughs> and, and of course nobody's fighting duels. Maybe, maybe you are, Jason the Kid Creek. Right. I don't know, but it, it's just one of those you know things from a bygone era. It's right. just so much fun. Let's just keep it. Yeah, why not? And those. What, what harms it do? What, what harm does it do? Yeah. And, and you know how meetings can kind of be dry anyway. That just livens it up for just a, just a minute. You know, they're, they're going through all the official details of office and here are the things you're swearing to do, da-da-da. Oh, by the way, can you also ensure that you not only have you never fought a duel, but you don't have any duels scheduled like in the scheduled. future? <laughs> it's like you, you take your iPhone out and you look. <laughs> well, I had one for the next Thursday, so I may have yeah. to take that out. So I'll tell you, duels were sort of the, the mark of honor, as you said. Absolutely. You know, and, and it was very there, – there were certain rules you had to abide by. But there were folks in the Wild West who could, could really – care less about your rules you know and, and these folks were called outlaws i can imagine have you ever heard of outlaws oh absolutely any uh, are there very many outlaws on uh, uh williamsburg street three that i can name <laughs> okay yeah good so outlaws is a name widely given to both men and women in the old west who lived outside of the law and were often known for robbing banks trains and stagecoaches. Interesting fact, the phrase riding shotgun, have, have you heard this where someone says, oh, I've got shotgun, <laughs> yeah. I'm riding shotgun. You're up front, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm up front. Uh, this was created to describe the person with a gun who sat next to the driver uh, on a stagecoach. And the purpose of the shotgun rider was literally to have a shotgun and defend the stagecoach from outlaws and bandits. So the next wow. time you're you're getting ready to head off to basketball practice and when your daughter says, oh, I've got a shotgun, you, sure? you need to handle my shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> ready to that's defend the, that's what you said. the car, man. Uh, but when, the, when an outlaw committed a crime back in these days, local law enforcement, which was usually either maybe like a deputy U.S. marshal or a county sheriff or, or the town marshal, would post rewards. And have you seen these depictions where it says like wanted and yeah. it's got a picture of somebody. wanted dead or alive, right? dead or alive. Yeah. yeah. And uh, these these rewards encourage citizens to capture or kill 
the outlaw for a, re- a reward. This this was a commonly acceptable practice. It was perfectly fine. <laughs> Nobody cared. Encouraged even. Yeah, please do this thing for us. Uh, and this led to the eventual profession of bounty hunting. You know, people who would find and capture or kill those who the law had placed a bounty on their head. They would actually go out and they'd say, oh, uh, this person has a $10,000, $20,000 bounty. And yeah, they, they would run that large of a sum. For some of these people, because you have to imagine some of the uh, the currency they were stealing, some of the money outnumbered that. It's a ton of money. Even, it, yeah, over time, because some of these became sort of like professional right. <laughs> outlaws. You don't have to go to school and get a degree to do that. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most noted professional outlaws of the time was a, a fellow named Jesse James. Oh, yeah. Ever heard of Jesse James? Absolutely. Uh, he was an American outlaw, bank and train robber, and leader of the James Younger Gang. He was born on September 5th, 1847, and died on April 3rd, 1882, at age 34. Which wow. kind of sats my heart a little bit. Pretty young. It, it's pretty young, yeah. And as of the time of this recording, I'm, I'm 34. Yeah. So this kind of gave me pause, and I thought, man, I'm the last 10 years, I should have been rooting, tooting, shooting. <laughs> uh, but Jesse James was a, a pro-Confederate and fought alongside a, a guerrilla warfare group known as the Bushwhackers. And in um, Civil War days, Bushwhackers weren't officially on either side of the war, but they were uh, still out there. They were conducting raids and ambushing local militaries, and it made it really hard to prosecute them because they didn't really dress in, in the same style as uh, you know the Union soldiers or the Confederate soldiers. It made it hard to determine whether they should be punished by law. Like, right. are they acting on behalf of the war effort, or are they just a gang of thugs out there ambushing people for, right. for no reason? And it was sort of a gray line. Although they were pro-Confederate, uh, at least uh, Jesse James was, it was difficult to um, kind of uh, figure out how someone like that should be prosecuted. But Jesse James and his brother Frank spent several years as outlaws following the, the Civil War. Uh, they would routinely recruit new members to their outlaw gang to rob and kill, which led to them gaining national notoriety. And I think that would be a little bit harder to do back in those days. No no internet. Right. You know, yeah. Everything's no, no super instant slow. information. Yeah. No tweets going out, oh, Jesse James strikes again, <laughs> you know. Uh, but on April 3rd, 1882, Jesse James was shot and killed by a new recruit to his gang named Robert Ford, who hoped to collect a reward and amnesty from his previous crimes by killing Jesse James. So he just recruited someone new to the gang, and this person stabbed him in the back, mm. or in this case, shot him in the head. Wrong, wrong guy, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, recruited the wrong guy, uh, and he was trying to uh, to collect the bounty. But when, when Jesse James died, some people actually doubted that he'd actually been killed. They, they theorized, and it was a conspiracy for a long time, that he had staged his death to escape law enforcement. Hmm. Uh, it, it was so much of a big deal that by 1995, uh, Jesse James's body was exhumed from its resting place in Kearney, Missouri, and subjected to mitochondrial DNA typing. They were trying to figure out, it, the person who's wow. been in this grave for all of these years, is this truly jesse james or you know did he survive and was out there doing whatever Uh, and they found the dna was consistent with a living relative of jesse james so the body was apparently really him Hmm. so we we, we can put those doubts to rest Uh, although jesse james is sometimes depicted as being a kind of like a robin hood figure stealing from the rich given to the poor there's no historical evidence whatsoever that he and his gang gave away any of the money they stole (laughs) from anyone kept it all kept it for themselves yeah so jason before we get into the next topic you want to take a quick break here yeah sounds great 
Hey everyone, we're happy to announce that the podcast now has a merchandise store. Shannon, everyone loves hoodies and everyone loves coffee. Yeah, and you can pick up a nice slapdash hoodie or a slapdash mug and drink your next cup of joe right out of a slapdash cup. (laughs) We also have t-shirts and stickers. Yeah, we do. So come on by and log on to www.slapdashpod.com forward slash store. That's www.slapdashpod.com forward slash store. We are back and talking about the Wild West, and our next topic is the Oregon Trail. The Oregon Trail is a 2,170-mile-long wagon route that connected the Missouri River to the valley in Oregon. The trail was blazed by fur traders and trappers between 1811 to 1840, and people used the trail a great deal until 1869 when the first transcontinental railroad was completed. Over the decades, uh, specifically in the 1840s and 50s, multiple forts were built as stopping points for settlers, and history shows that some of the forts would intentionally sell the pioneers more supplies than they needed, telling them that they were the last stop for many miles, and oftentimes this would not be the case. And oh, yeah. So kind of like, you know, uh, I guess today's equivalent of you see a billboard on the interstate you know, or, or something, you know, last stop for 100 miles or something like I've, that. I've seen that, right? yeah. I think about gas stations sometimes. I, I kind of think about that in my own head. I'll be going down the interstate on a you know just a long patch of road, and I'll look over and see a gas station, and it's the first one I've seen in right. many many miles on a long trip. And I think, well, I better stop there. And then about the time I do and get out and pay whatever uh, price they want for gas, which is usually two pints of blood, right? Yeah, uh, you know, I go about two two or three mile, miles on down the road, and all of a sudden I hit like, Metropolis, like five ga- five <laughs> yeah. gas stations, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I think uh, probably something similar happened to them, where they would sell them, you know, all kinds of resources. You know, say, hey, you better do it now because it may be several days and before you. Yeah. yeah, and and they get them. Right. Uh, in fact, according to records, Fort Laramie in Wyoming, uh, pioneers had to throw away approximately twenty thousand pounds of bacon in one year because it spoiled before they could eat it. Twenty thousand pounds. So as they got to Wyoming, they were getting sort of closer to the end, yeah. you know, there. And that was always sort of a dumping ground uh, for years. Was It was in Fort Laramie, oh, really? Wyoming. Yeah, and they would sort of accumulate these resources and, and then didn't need them. they just really didn't need them. Huh. Uh, and then they had to kind of dump them away. And so that was that was sort of a, a dumping ground was, was Fort Laramie. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So, so 20,000 pounds? 20,000 pounds of bacon in, in a year, approximately, according to the record books. Wow, that's impressive. That's, that's a lot of bacon. Yeah. Uh, to make the entire trip took about five months. Uh, and we're going, obviously, from like one corner to the other, sort of diagonally. Right. The pioneers basically traveled about 10 to 15 miles each day. That's hard just to mm. imagine because you know, we do that like in just mere minutes. No, no big deal at all. Yeah, but of course you have to, you know, no roads. It's a wagon. Yeah. We have horses, and they're traversing just not flat terrain. No, probably brand new, right? Yeah. And so during the long journey, certain uh, things occurred, like uh, one would expect robberies, shootouts, disease, and sometimes even death, which brings us uh, to what most people think of, if they're honest, when we're talking about the Oregon Trail, yep. and that's the Oregon Trail video game. That's, so Shannon, are, you, thing I think are you familiar with this video game? Man, I played that game a lot. When I was in grade school, we had it on the, uh, the Apple II computers, and do you remember the older computers that they weren't really color? They had like a green, monochrome, green, oh, black yeah. look to them. Yep. 
That's that's what I played it on. Yeah. I, I think I was the first fourth grader at, from Manchester Elementary School who who beat the Oregon Trail on, oh, on the school computers. Really, I sure did. So what happens when you do that? Because I I never did. I always like died of dysentery <laughs> like ten miles in or well, whatever. you know how like all the the way through it's just sort of a point and click game. Well, there's no mouse, so you're just selecting options. You, right. you might go hunting. That was the fun thing. Oh yeah, right? but by you got the a end, fox, yeah, you got a bear, you got a bear, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you couldn't carry all the meat, so you have to throw some back. That was always bizarre to yeah. me. So I'm just out there shooting like five bears, and I can take like a, a foot worth of bear, and that's, that's it. Just throw the rest out. But no, whenever you get to the end, it throws a curveball at you, something that's not happened in the entire game up to that point. You have to navigate down a river and, and basically hit left and right on the keyboard to dodge rocks as you're going. So that's the big finish, <laughs> that's right? That's the big finish, and you have to kind of slide into Oregon there at the end. You have to slide back over onto the land, and then it pops up with that screen play some music you know welcome to oregon and and you made it and and i did that man and i was happy i had a, a crowd of people standing behind me when i was going down that that river it was awesome <laughs> uh well the, the oregon trail when i played that uh, that was our reward right so if, if we behave in class and, oh, yeah. and turned in our assignments uh, usually on fridays i got like you know 20 to 30 minutes on the oregon trail and so i remember the oxen and just you know, you have a broken wagon wheel yeah. and you have to trade flour and just all this kinds of stuff. And I guess it's just a whole other different world. Uh, obviously, the game uh, wasn't really popular for its graphics, right. <laughs> but it was just <laughs> sort of, of basic. yeah, I guess maybe it was sort of the uh, decision making type yeah. thing that had an, uh, an appeal to it. It but felt I, like you were on a journey. Yeah. Somehow. I really, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed the game. Here's a side note. In recent years, there's been a remake of the Oregon Trail, but it's not the Oregon Trail, like O-R-E-G-O-N. It's the Oregon Oregon Trail, O-R-G-A-N, and it's about trying to escape the zombie apocalypse. And it's made in the same exact way. It's that old school sort of pixel art style. Oh, yeah. You have to trade and barter with people that you run into. Whenever you're out hunting, you're actually hunting zombies and you're trying to make your way well, somewhere cool. in I, the United I, States. I didn't know that. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, sure is. What do you have next for us in regard to the wild, wild west? So, Jason, one other thing in addition to horses and duels and outlaws and gun smoke and all that sort of thing that you think about is one of the backdrops for a lot of the, the wild west adventures, and that is the saloon. So it's in all of the shows. It's in all of the movies. That's the setting. It's the setting. That's, right. you know, you just, uh, a stranger comes to town. Everybody's kind of sitting there at the bar. And all of a sudden you start hearing the clank, clank and see some boots coming across the, <laughs> the screen. The two wooden doors kind of <laughs> those, flap. Those bat wing right? doors yeah. just fly open. And, you know, here's a bad boy Bart. <laughs> yeah. Everybody spins around with a toothpick in their mouth. Yeah, they do. Uh, but Jason, a Western saloon is, you know, kind of bar. It's particular to the old West. And its name, Saloon, is derived from Salon, which means large hall in a public place for entertainment, which I found interesting because hmm. a lot of uh, place hairdressers where you know they conduct business is called a salon. Right. And I've never really thought about that as a public place for entertainment. <laughs> yeah, no, not really. It's just something that sort of you just have to get done. Yeah, people <laughs> cheering on, cut that hair. <laughs> do it. You can do it. But saloons serve customers such as fur trappers, cowboys, soldiers, lumberjacks, businessmen, lawmen, miners, gamblers. Uh, but a saloon might also be referred to as a watering trough, a bug house, a cantina, a grog shop, or my favorite, a gin mill. <laughs> <laughs> meal. I haven't heard that one. The physical appearance of saloons varied based on where the saloon was located, but as these towns started to grow and their populations got larger and larger, the saloons became more refined. 
the the bartender there often prided himself on his appearance and his drink pouring abilities. That's where a lot of that <laughs> originates. And as we mentioned, a pair of bat wing doors at the entrance was one of the more distinctive features of the typical saloon. They would just kind of swing on those hinges. The first saloon was established at Browns Hole, Wyoming. And I love the name. There's a place out there in Wyoming called Browns Hole. <laughs> so it was also home to the first saloon in 1822. And it was created to serve fur trappers. By 1888, the growth of saloons was in full swing. And in Levensworth, Kansas, uh, there were about 150 saloons and four wholesale liquor houses uh, back in 1880. So it was mm. it was expanding. This was a time prior to uh, prohibition in the United States, although that was getting ready to be on the horizon. And by 1893, because there has to be a league or an association for everything, the Anti-Saloon League (laughs) began protesting against American saloons. The Anti-Saloon League, which I I like to think was led by maybe Aquaman's cousin. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It became a national organization in 1895 and rose to become the most powerful prohibition lobby in America. Jason, they were out there pressuring politicians, Hmm. local police, trying to get them to enact legislation that would eliminate or at least limit saloons. And they didn't have a great way of going about this, uh, but they even tried to have the saloon license was uh, revoked if they were open after what was deemed appropriate hours. So if they thought you were open too late, they were going to complain, raise a fuss, and see if they could get your license lifted as a result of that. Interesting. Yeah, and unfortunately for saloons, most of them remained open 24 hours a day, six days a week. So they were an easy target right. for that kind of tactic. They only closed on Sundays and for Christmas. Because <laughs> you got clothes on Christmas. Wow. Uh, during their time of struggle, saloons uh, wanted to bring in more business, so they started giving away free lunches to anyone who would purchase at least one drink inside their establishment. And these lunches were typically worth far more than a single drink. But the saloon keepers were hoping and maybe even expecting that customers would buy more than one drink and maybe that the practice would build patronage for other times of the sure. day. You know, if we're giving away a free meal during lunch... They might maybe, come back at maybe dinner. Maybe you'll remember right? us and you'll you'll come back at dinner. Uh, with the passing of the 18th Amendment in 1920, which was the, the prohibition of alcohol sales in the U.S., the Anti-Saloon League felt like they won their battle uh, until 13 years later when alcohol, uh, alcohol prohibition was repealed. <laughs> so it didn't last very long. So for 13 years, though, they won. Right? <laughs> they felt good about themselves. Yeah, they, they had a season of rest. But uh, I'll end the, the saloon discussion here with some of the notable saloons of the day. Some of these have some really cool names. Um, one saloon was called the First Chance Saloon in Miles City, Montana. There was the Bull's Head in Abilene, Kansas. The Arcade Saloon in Eldora, Colorado. And I like to think they were sitting around playing Pac-Man. <laughs> uh, the Holy Moses in Creed, Colorado. Holy Moses. <laughs> it sure is. Uh, the Long Branch Saloon in Dodge City, Kansas. The Birdcage Theater in Tombstone, Arizona. And I love the name Tombstone, Arizona. Right. <laughs> and my favorite, and I don't know why, the Bucket of Blood Saloon in Virginia <laughs> City, Nevada. <laughs> Bucket of Blood. So if you're wondering what the backdrop was Man. for all of these cowboy showdowns, it was probably the Bucket of Blood Saloon, Man, that's if a- I had to guess. I'd say the bucket of blood had some uh, 
had some tough crowds <laughs> over the years. I like to imagine so. So, Jason, what's our next topic uh, with the history of the Wild West? So, you really can't talk about the Wild West without talking about the Louisiana Purchase, the uh, the acquisition of land that the United States uh, acquired from France. Uh, the Louisiana Purchase actually occurred in 1803, and the U.S. paid a, a mere fifteen dollar or fifteen dollar fifteen million dollars for the land, or about eighteen dollars per acre. Oh, that's a heck of a deal. That's a pretty good deal. Eighteen bucks an acre—that's that, pretty good. Yeah, uh, this land uh, is made up of the entire states of Arkansas, Missouri, Iowa, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, and Oklahoma, and parts of Montana, Wyoming, North Dakota, Minnesota, Colorado, New Mexico, <laughs> Texas, and of course Louisiana. Wow. So overall it was about forty to forty five percent increase in total territory I'll bet. of the United States, like literally overnight. Yeah. And, and at a pretty good deal, too. At, at a pretty good deal. Uh, the actual price, uh, and then th- this is interesting, that so that the price was $15 million, uh, but the U.S. could really only come up with $3 million at the time in gold. And okay. so they had $3 million in gold shipped to France, literally Napoleon. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. He, he was trying to fund his own he war was in over there, right? The time. Yeah. And the other uh, $12 million, they uh, borrowed from different European countries and then had to pay back the interest. So after they paid back the interest, uh, while the uh, Louisiana Purchase, the, the the sales tag was $15 million, They ended up paying $23 million total. Oh, with all the tax it. and yeah. everything. Oh, wow. Uh, and, of course, as people began settling these lands, I mean, it was it was because of the Louisiana Purchase that the settlers came there, right? I mean, it, yeah. that was the, the reason and the, the, the means they had to settle and start these saloons and all this good stuff. That's right. Yeah. So, of course, as people began settling these lands in the coming years, everything associated with the Wild West developed. Uh, small, dusty towns, saloons, duels, <laughs> and just overall Western settlement life. That's that's where it all came so, from. Yep. So, thanks to the uh, 1803 Louisiana Purchase. Very cool. So, it, it was a big deal. It, it literally purchased the, the Western half of the United States. Yes, absolutely. That's incredible. Yep. So, Jason, as we get ready to wind down this episode, any other fond thoughts, memories, or, or closing ideas on, on the wild, wild west? And not the not the Will Smith movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Just the, the original Wild West. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. The real uh, Wild West. That was West. also a good movie, though. That's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. No, really, just for me, I think, uh, like, for you, Gunsmoke, and yep. for me, I think it was, it was the uh, the Rifleman, you oh, know, sure. kind of growing up thinking about those old cowboys and westerns. And, of course, there were others, uh, like, I think, Tombstone. Right. That's a big one. And Doc Holliday. Doc Holliday. I guys, think there was like yeah. a wide Earp movie or something. You know, so sure. all of those are very popular and, and very entertaining. And that's kind of the images that pop up in my mind when I think of the Wild West. And and although it seems like every town has the sheriff, right? And he's <laughs> you gonna have, to have somebody. Yeah, and he's gonna yeah. do he's gonna do right. But it just seemed like there was just a lot of lawlessness kind of going around, right? That sort of seemed to dominate more so than like the local authorities did. Sure. And I could just, you know, imagine these robbers like out in, in caves out in the wilderness. <laughs> out in the desert kind of you know dividing the loot that they've oh, stolen yeah. or whatever but uh but no the, the wild west uh pretty cool topic and an interesting time in american history i know a lot of that's dramatized for the sake of movies and television but i like to think somewhere out there there's a lone desperado wearing a black mask over his eyes you know maybe with a, a sword and maybe he likes to defeat his opponents and just slash a z 
<laughs> onto their shirts. How cool would that be? <laughs> only if only if that would happen, right? Yeah, yeah. If only if only Zorro were, were a real thing. <laughs> but a uh, cool episode, fun research, and the Wild West. It's uh, it's one of the more interesting uh, eras in American history. Thanks to all of our listeners who are following us each week and listening to the podcast. We encourage you to share the show with someone else. Follow us on social media. You can reach us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the handle at SlapdashPod. We release new episodes on Mondays and Thursdays in history, art, science, and everything else. We'll catch you in the very next episode. Take care, everyone. Yeehaw. <laughs> <laughs>